Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around Him, and the impact He empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Good morning. My name is Sarah and it is great to be with you this morning. I am excited to be continuing in our series of Mark's Gospel. And today we are actually in the same section and indeed chapter that Alan started last week, chapter four. And so up until now, Mark has mostly focused on Jesus's actions, what he did, where he went, who he met. But in this section in chapter four, he focuses on Jesus's words, what he said, what he taught. And in this chapter, Mark dedicates time to the teachings of Jesus and explains what the kingdom of God is like. There are 39 parables recorded throughout all of the Gospels and Mark chooses only four. We've got the parable of the sower that we looked at last week, the lamp, the growing seed and the mustard seed. So let's take a look at them. Matthew 4 starting in verse 21. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seeds on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So, why did Mark choose these particular parables? What message was he trying to convey to his readers? I think he wants us to grasp a few things. Firstly, that the kingdom of God is and will be revealed to everyone in time. Secondly, understanding the kingdom of God is not a human ability, but a capacity given by the Holy Spirit in relationship. Thirdly, kingdom growth can seem mundane and ordinary and will only happen in God's time and independent of us and our activity. And fourthly, that the kingdom of God will not look like what we think it should. It will not meet our limited expectations. So let's take a closer look. At the very beginning of the gospel, Mark recalls Jesus saying in chapter 1 verse 15, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe. So this talk about the kingdom, it doesn't just 
begin the gospel, but it is actually a major theme that breathes through all of Mark's gospel, 17 times at least, and mostly in these opening chapters that we have already seen. And as every careful reader of the New Testament knows, the kingdom of God is not about geography or some static place. It is about the dynamic reality of God's presence and power within creation and within the lives of God's people. And when the Gospels talk about the kingdom, they're announcing that in this man, Jesus, and in his ministry, God's presence and rule have taken on a new dimension and power among us. And though it's not included in Mark's Gospel, Matthew and Luke both tell us that Jesus taught his disciples to pray in a way that acknowledges this very presence of God, to pray, let your kingdom come, like we have just done this morning in our family prayer. A command of Jesus that Christians down through the centuries have been more obedient to than any other. And when we pray for this kingdom to come, it is as much about us as about God. As Jesus promises at the beginning of Mark, the kingdom is already at hand. God's kingdom comes on its own without our prayer. But we ask in this prayer that it would also come to us. So talk of the kingdom has to do with how we will hear Jesus and his coming and presence among us and how it will affect and shape our lives if we would really hear his call to follow. And I think it is really, really interesting and important to notice that Jesus only describes the kingdom through parables. There is something so important and so key to the understanding of this life of repentance and faith to which Jesus calls us that its character cannot be faced straight on, but it can only be contained in the hidden, secret, mysterious language of parable. You see, the life that we were made for to experience God's kingdom rule in and through us is a mystery. It's a deep wonder that only God can reveal to those who are prepared to really hear, who are on the inside, to those who seek it out. Mark is emphasising to us from the very beginning that Jesus' teachings need to be inhabited. They need to be stepped into with a posture that allows the Holy Spirit to reveal the mystery of the kingdom to us. And so in today's passage in these three parables, the lamp, the growing seed and the mustard seed, we want to have a look at what Jesus is saying. So let's look at the first one, the parable of the lamp. Mark here is emphasising the point that God is not trying to trick people or to keep the truth and wonder about the kingdom of God and a life in intimacy with him a big secret that only a few people can find out. No, that's not it at all. His purpose is that everyone will see it, hear it, know about it, just as the purpose of a lamp is to light up a room. And throughout the Old Testament, a lamp is often used as a metaphor for God, like in 2 Samuel 22 verse 29 it says you lord are my lamp the lord turns my darkness into light and it is often translated that god's purpose in jesus is to enlighten and reveal to light things up and we read in the old testament that no one ever saw god directly his glory would have been too overwhelming a bit like when you look straight at a bright light. It is dazzling and it can be painful. But we have the humanness of Jesus, the fact that he was an ordinary man on 
earth. It allowed God's glory to be drip-fed, if you liked, to be revealed in relationship. Jesus, as a man, on earth, saying to the disciples on the shore, come, follow me, saying to you and I today, come, follow me. It stops the glory of God from overwhelming and blinding the world and instead it invites us to discover the kingdom by experience through relationship. And the people listening to Jesus' teaching, they were expecting the kingdom of God to be this powerful physical force that was going to set them free from Roman occupation. But this kingdom that Jesus is talking about, it doesn't match up to their methods or expectations. And even at times for us today, God's kingdom, even though we know that it is a spiritual reality, it often isn't what we expected it to look like. It's not a constant party. God's glory is revealed indirectly and often in disarming ways, in weakness, in suffering, in death. And that's a mystery right there. Many of us this morning are wrestling with some sort of failure, suffering, grief. Things don't look like how we expected. The goodness of God and his kingdom are a complete mystery to us and we can't quite get our heads around it. And on the surface it makes no sense. But there is an invitation here to bring our confusion and our pain to the feet of Jesus and journey these mysteries with him. And in verses 24 and 25 they refer to the way that people respond to the light. Jesus is hidden in order to be revealed. Just like in the parable of the sower from last week, Jesus is restating the fact that the entryway into the kingdom of God is through hearing. Verse 24, it says, Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. So what does that mean? Will the degree to which you hear the parables and allow the kingdom to break into your life and affect how you speak to your neighbour or love your husband will determine the measure of your own understanding? In its traditional translation, this passage reads, the measure you give will be the measure you get. And that has actually inspired all sorts of reflections, including a whole Shakespeare play about the meaning of justice. Jesus here seems to be telling the disciples and us that the level to which they pay attention to what he's teaching them will be the level at which they will receive the benefits of the kingdom. Now Jesus isn't quite saying you will get out of this what you put in, but rather we see again the circular nature of a promise and a warning. The promise is that those who hear, who knock until the door is open, who wrestle with questions and struggle at Jesus's feet, they will find the kingdom disclosed to them. And the warning that if we remain at a superficial level, like the uncomprehending clouds, that crowds, that we will lose the sense of God doing something in our midst. You see, there it is again, an invitation to relationship to 
intimacy. Jesus is always inviting us to more. And when we step into the mystery of Jesus' teachings, the things that don't make sense, the things that we just don't get, when we wrestle with it with Jesus rather than walking away, it leads to revelation and depth and richness that cannot be gained through a superficial flick through the Bible or a fleeting prayer. Mark is reminding us again here that we need open ears and hearts to step into Jesus' story in full knowledge that we don't understand it yet. And the disciples didn't get the goods up front. Jesus didn't say that first day he met them, Whatever you ask in my Father's name will be given to you. We read that in John 15. I mean, people would be running in their droves if he had said that. But instead he said, come, follow me. For three years the disciples watched, followed, questioned, disagreed with him. And in time he revealed these deep mysteries to them. He calls them friends. They knew each other. They knew his likes, his dislikes. They could identify if a letter was from him by the handwriting. They could pick him out of a crowd. They were close friends. And we rarely get the goods up front either. But we do get an invitation over and over again to sit in his presence, to read his word, to worship him, to know him, to be good friends, just as his disciples were. Because understanding the kingdom of God is not a human ability, but a capacity created and given by the Holy Spirit in relationship. And I think that what Jesus is alluding here to is the principle of spiritual momentum. And if we are following Jesus, one lesson leads to another, one truth to another, and growth is rapid. It's like running downhill. You build momentum. But when we are lukewarm in our allegiance, when our engagement with the Bible is haphazard and infrequent, our growth declines. It's like running uphill. And that is the point I think Jesus is making there. So now we move on to the next two parables, which are both about seeds. Both of these parables repeat the image of a person sowing seed, and it is similar to how the chapter opens, but here with completely different effects. The first, which appears to be a mundane parable about the life cycle of a seed, placing emphasis on the process of growth, whereas the second and perhaps more familiar parable of the mustard seed highlights the contrast between small beginnings and great results. The first parable that we read in verses 26 to 29 is the only parable unique to Mark. It doesn't appear in any of the other Gospels. And Jesus here doesn't tell us how high and lofty and majestic and powerful God is, but rather how very near and present he is and how the routines of planting and harvesting are mundane clues to the nature and plan of God. Jesus likens the kingdom of God here to a process of growth. A seed, it's not spectacular. You can't watch the growing process. One New Testament writer, James Edward, puts it like this. Night and day a farmer waits for seeds. He sleeps and gets up and life goes on as it always has. But simultaneously and independent of the farmer, another process is at work. Slowly, imperceptibly, the seed sprouts and grows. 
there was an early theology in Judaism that emphasised the role of human activity in ushering in the kingdom of God. The process, they believed, was very dependent on human activity. And sometimes I think we can still see that in the church and in ourselves today. This mentality that we need to do things to serve more, create more programmes and online services and stuff. Otherwise, people won't know God and the kingdom won't grow. And whilst there's definitely a place for strategic planning and creating incredible environments of community and spaces for people to encounter God, I think it's really, really important to notice that the only human activity in this parable is waiting, faithful waiting, in confidence that God is at work. Verse 27, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. Jesus, I think, is highlighting the ordinary quality of these nights and days. Life as usual, so to speak. And the point of this work is not the, sorry, the point of the verse is not the work of the farmer, but the work of the seed, which obtains its growth from a mysterious source and grows so slowly that we cannot see it growing. Jesus likens the coming of the kingdom to a process growth that is strangely independent of human activity. You see, a seed mysteriously contains within itself fruit-bearing potential. And the kingdom of God is like this slow but steady growth. We preach and invite and witness, but the results can be overwhelmingly ordinary at times. A few kids might come to a summer activity, an awkward teenager shows up to a worship night, a young couple choose to be married in a church, and it's not seeming to amount to much of anything, but the seed is growing God is moving, God is present and so what we need to do is take a step back and notice what is happening around us. My four-year-old son has become quite the budding gardener this year after spending much time with his grandma and since about around March time he would come home each week from her house with a new packet of seeds and plant them in the garden. And he would tell us how this little seed was going to grow into a beautiful pea or this seed was going to become a beautiful red flower that would smell so good. And each night, instead of reading storybooks, we were reading this Let's Get Gardening guidebook and it was telling us when the seeds would grow and what would happen. But as the weeks went by, nothing was happening. I was not allowed to dig or touch his precious seeds that he was watering and feeding because the book said they would grow. And his older brother and sister found it highly entertaining that for months as he watered the soil, nothing was happening. Meanwhile, at Grandma's house, the same seeds were flourishing. Her garden was blooming. She was in fact eating the vegetables for her dinner. But in our garden, nothing. And my son would not be deterred from his waiting. We came home from holiday at the end of July there to a flower bed full of peas, beans, sunflowers, sweet peas, poppies, all mixed in together, an explosion of colour and vegetables. And he just turned to me and said, see, told you they'd grow. He trusted that the seed would do its thing. 
I won't lie, there were occasions that I thought I'm going to have to go out there at night time and put some sunflowers and some peas out there to pretend that they have grown. I know, she of little faith. But we all do it though, don't we? We feel the need to take control, often before God's will can be done, because if we are honest, we don't completely trust him. We know better, because this current way that things are going, that things are looking like, it's not working. But the good news here is that these parables allow us to stop concentrating on what we need to accomplish or have accomplished and to notice and reflect on what God is accomplishing. Just as the farmer or my son were not responsible to make the seed grow, we are not responsible for how people respond to Jesus. We do not need to try and control the outcomes. We just need to be obedient and plant the seed, whatever that might look like. Look like for us, it might be serving on a team, inviting someone to church, telling someone that you actually go to church, pausing at a checkout and asking how someone's day has gone. I mean, it could be anything. But then we need to take a step back to let go of control of the outcomes and notice what God is doing. I think Mark also includes this parable to emphasise to us the importance of faith, patient faith. This parable encourages us in an age of instantaneous communication where waiting can be intolerable to have patient faith. Now patience is not a strong quality of mine. I like to get stuff done and done now. My way would be to plow the field, plant the seed, reap the harvest, thrash the grain, bake the cake and eat it all in one day. But Jesus is teaching his disciples and us here that in the kingdom of God, we are not promised instantaneous growth. God gives the growth and it follows an appointed order that cannot be hurried or skipped over or delayed. And this is good news for us. We don't have to make it work. The outcome is not on us. Our reward is not based on outcomes. When we can't see what the seed is doing under the ground, when it looks like nothing is growing, very often we become discouraged because we often want immediate gratification and results. And so when nothing happens, we consider it failure, don't we? But Mark is clearly saying to us, no, this is not the case. If we give in to failure, it can be overwhelming and all-consuming. Just because I can't see God moving does not mean that he isn't. The Bible tells us that God is good and that he will accomplish his purposes. The parable is assuring us here that when we are obedient, when we say yes to that thing that God is asking us to do to advance his kingdom, the person he is asking us to befriend or stand up for, the sacrifice in our family that he is asking us to make, whatever the seed is that he is asking you to sow, it will accomplish its purpose. We may not be the ones who harvest the bounty, But it's not our harvest. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 that the harvest belongs to God. And so we continue to be obedient, to give our yes and choose to have confidence in the one who has asked us to because our reward is not in the harvest. It is on the journey with him. Our reward is discovering the mysteries and the richness of life lived on the road with Jesus. 
And then lastly, we have the parable of the mustard seed. This is similar to the last parable where Jesus again likens the kingdom of God to the sowing of seed. But this time the emphasis is on contrast rather than growth. The contrast of something insignificant and small becoming something significant and spectacular. The gospel begins differently than we would expect. We would expect Jesus, the Messiah, to come as a mighty warrior, but instead he comes as an infant. We would expect him to select the brightest and best people to be his disciples, but instead he chooses ordinary, seemingly insignificant people, fishermen, even a tax collector. God often chooses to work through unlikely characters and candidates. Moses, the murderer, David, the boy whose father almost forgot to mention him when Samuel came looking for a king. Jesus isn't comparing the kingdom of God to a mustard seed, but to what happens to the mustard seed. Because a mustard seed actually isn't the tiniest of seeds, but rather it stood for something proverbially small in Palestine. The analogy here involves a very small beginning and a great final product. In verse 32, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Both parables are indicating that the seed will produce the results inherent within it. It will grow and multiply independent of human activity. What seems seemingly small and insignificant will become great and spectacular. God's purposes will be fulfilled in God's way. And then in the final two verses in this section... We see it end as it began, with Jesus teaching the word to them in many parables. And I think Mark chooses these parables because he sees Jesus' invitation to us to wrestle with the seemingly mundane and ordinary things of the kingdom that grew to be mysterious and mind-blowing, to let go of control and trust that God is who he says he is and that his kingdom, even when it looks like a failure, will grow and multiply and be spectacular. Mark is constantly painting a picture of a God who entrusts the secrets of his purposes only to those who are willing to trust him in spite of how things look on the surface. And here is an invitation to you and I to hear him, to hear his word, to hear what his kingdom is really about, to have patient faith and resist taking control when our expectations go unmet, when God is not taking control of his kingdom the way we think he should be. Mark is inviting us to trust that God is who he says he is, that he is king on a throne, fulfilling his purposes in his kingdom, in his time. And my question for us today is, do you trust him? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these parables that reveal to us some of the mysteries of your kingdom. And Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to understand. Holy Spirit, would you give us the gift, the supernatural gift of spiritual discernment, that when we read these words, and when we listen to your teachings, that we would understand what you're saying. And God, we ask that you would help us to trust you. 
Would we trust that you are good? Would we trust that you will fulfill your purposes in your time, just like you said you would? And so God, I pray that you would make us a patient people of courageous faith, of people who wait and wrestle with the mysteries of the kingdom in full confidence that you are a God who will do what you said you will. In Jesus' name, amen. It has been so lovely to be with you this morning. I hope that you have a really, really great week. God bless. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.